Good morning. I'm officially old. Get my stuff together. I'm taping my pages in here. My phone's ringing. Had a lot going on. You know, it's like now's not the time. It's a number I don't recognize. I'm like, maybe I need to answer it. Dealing with Tammy's mom and doctors and all this stuff. And I answer it, and they go, "Just want to confirm your hearing aid appointment Monday." <laughs> what? Good news is, I may quit yelling at you guys. I don't know. I'm doing it. Going around yelling at everybody. Maybe that'll change after Monday. Please find your way, John chapter eight. And again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms and future moms out there. You know, it's good to set aside the day to celebrate moms, but we should uh, love our moms like we do on Mother's Day every day of the year, amen? Mothers are precious, so precious. Just thinking about what moms do, they add color to the home. They make it a home. If we're left up to dads, there'd be a lot of shades of brown, camouflage, and sports stuff everywhere. Piles of dirty clothes and the clean clothes would be wrinkled and never put up. Just thinking out loud. But you know, like Chris said, you know, the design, moms are the ones who can love and nurture in such a way that we all say there is a God. There is a God. It is their unending sacrificial love that points to God. A mother's love for children and families like no other. So happy Mother's Day. So we made it to the way to chapter eight in the book of John. And our text today, we have a verse that is known throughout the world, a verse that is more popular than John 3.16. And I say that because this verse is quoted not only by believers, but also non-believers. Non-believers use this uh, verse a lot. Non-believers will never say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish or have eternal life. They will never say that. But they will quickly quote, you who are without sin cast the first stone. It's known. Well, we will see that using that verse when confronted about one's sin is not the purpose of this verse. It's not what this verse was intended for. <laughs> if this verse was to be used every time one is confronted about sin, we would never be able to talk to anyone about sin. None of us would be qualified because we all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? So we have seen in chapter 7 that the hatred for Jesus has intensified. The Jewish leaders have confronted Jesus during the Feast of Tabernacles, trying to discredit his teaching, and they failed miserably. Instead of discrediting Jesus, there it was their credibility that was now in. They had humiliated themselves in public. Their, quote, self-righteous blinded them. Their self-righteousness blinded them, and they could not see their faults. Because of their pride, they could not hear the truth. And that was causing a big problem for them. The people were starting to, to believe the words of Jesus. The Jews were losing their grip on the people. And so they, they wanted Jesus out of the way as soon as possible. He, he had really become a thorn in their side. So they were working intently to come up with something that would discredit Jesus, something that would make him out to be a false prophet or, or, or make it seem like he was an insurrectionist trying to come up against Rome. So Rome would take him out. But, you know, they would, that Jesus needed to go by any means necessary was the way they were thinking. So 
So starting at the end of chapter 7 and verse 33, verse 53 and through chapter 8, verse 11, we see that the Pharisees and scribes had not yet submitted to the truth and have come up with yet another plan to get rid of Jesus. Now, if you look at your Bible, it should have this text in brackets or should have a disclaimer stating that these verses were not in the earliest manuscripts. And since this text was not in the earliest manuscript, some say that it doesn't belong in the canon, that it doesn't belong in the Bible, that it may not be a part of God's word. They point out that this text was not spoken of by early church leaders until 1200 AD. And many say that the text was not written by John because it interrupted the flow of the scriptures and, and that it doesn't match John's style of writing. Also, in later manuscripts, we find that the text is placed in different sections of the gospel. Some have it in the end of John, some have it in Luke and Mark. So we ask, if this is true, why do we have it in our Bible today? Well, there are many who say that it does belong in the Bible. Many scholars. I don't know who those guys are. There's a lot of scholars out there, right? Many scholars believe that the event did happen. It's just in the wrong place in the Bible. And if you look in the internal evidence, we would see that if you were to take these verses out of the Bible, it would not affect or change any doctrine of the Bible. If you were to study this text, you would also see that it does not contradict any scripture at all. It actually substantiates other scripture. So I believe we can learn about our Lord Jesus Christ in this text, and we will see that it actually confirms what the rest of the scriptures tell us about Jesus. We will see his divine insight. We will see his divine wisdom. So I think we can certainly learn a lot and profit by studying these words. We will see his justice and grace. And if you have any more questions about this, I suggest you talk to my brother John here because we had a great conversation last week about it. And he knows a lot more about it than I do. Get John up during fellowship time. He's prepared. I promise you. So let's read this uh, chapter seven, verse 53 here. They went off to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charges to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said this to them. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they had heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with this woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Now, one thing that we have to always keep in mind as we read the gospel according to John is what, the re- what was the reason that, it, that John wrote this gospel? Being carried by the Holy Spirit. Why did he pen these words? He tells us, right? It is so that you may believe. But believe what? Believe what? Believe that these things were written so that, know that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the message that is in every chapter of John is Jesus is God. Never lose that focus. Never lose that thought. And when we study the word of God, our focus should always be on God and always be on God and how we can learn more about him. The entire Bible is about God and his redemptive plan for mankind. We are to keep that thought in our minds every time we open the word of God. The word is not about events that happened or the people. It's much, as much as it is about God. God uses the events and people to show and teach us more about himself. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, it was not about Nick at night. It was about Jesus, the giver of new birth. The woman at the well. It was not about her. It was about Jesus being the giver of living water. When Jesus fed the 5,000, it was not about the miracle. It was about Jesus being the bread of life. When Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, it was not about a healing. It was about Jesus being equal with God. You see, in your studies, you have to always be focused on Jesus. And by doing so, your love for the word and for Christ will grow by leaps and bounds. So the Bible is just not a, a storybook about some awesome events and incredible miracles that happened in history. The Bible is a book that introduces God to man. So we must stay focused on God. And I bring this up because I disagree with the title that man has given to this section of the scripture. If you look at your Bible, you'll see it says there, the woman caught in adultery. Listen, this is not about the adulterous woman, nor is it about the Pharisees and scribes. It's about Jesus Christ. I believe a better title for this section would be God reconciling his justice and his grace. Amen. That's the message of this text. God's justice and God's grace is reconciled. So let's learn how that happens. So they each went to their own house, but Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Again, we can see the heart of our Lord. We can see his humbleness. Now, if you remember from last week, the Feast of Tabernacles just ended. Right. And so all the people have taken down their tents and they went home. They hooked the camper fifth wheel up. They all left and they went to their own home, except for Jesus. He goes up to the Mount of Olives. This is the creator of all. This is the Christ. This is God in human flesh. And he goes up to the Mount of Olives to spend the night alone because he has no home. Alone. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Have you ever really, have you really ever pondered that thought? He who was rich became poor for our sakes. He left the glories of heaven and emptied himself, became a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have you ever pondered that thought? <clears throat> have you ever really thought about this one moment in time of G in Jesus's life on this earth? He has been teaching. He has proclaimed the free gift of salvation. He's basically been attacked from every direction, and yet he never stopped loving the people. At the end of the festival, everyone leaves, and there is Jesus, our Savior, walking off by himself up the Mount of Olives, going to spend the night on the side of a mountain alone. How could that be? 
How can that happen? But Jesus never grew weary. He knew his calling. He was going to do God's will no matter how lonely it would be, no matter the injustice, no matter the betrayal. The cross that was set before him would not deter him from doing the will of God. Not my will, but your will, Jesus said. I wonder how many times he told himself that. Not my will, Father, but yours will be done. Nothing was going to stop Jesus from teaching the truth. The unbelief or the rejection that he faced never stopped him from teaching the truth. He was right back the next morning. Went off by himself. Didn't matter. He came back the next morning willing to teach anyone who wanted to be taught. Early in the morning, he came down again to the temple. All the people came to him and sat down. And he sat down and taught them. Listen, Jesus would never, 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 ever turn anyone away who really wants to know the truth. If you really want to know it, he's not going to turn you away. He's going to teach and teach and teach. And there were many there who wanted to hear the, what Jesus had to say. It says that all people came to him. Remember, he spoke with authority. Nobody had ever taught like this man. So when Jesus was teaching, everyone would come to hear what he had to say. So there's this large crowd around Jesus as he's teaching in the, uh, in the courtyard. And here comes the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. They, they wanted to introduce Jesus to a woman they had just met that morning. No, probably not. <laughs> Actually, they probably did not just meet her that day. I'm sure they knew her and her lifestyle, and they knew right where to find her when they needed her. Verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. So let's take a look at the scribes and the Pharisees and the reason they're bringing these, uh, this lady before him. I want you to know how the Jewish leaders were feeling. They were not a friend of Jesus. They saw him as an enemy to the religion. Jesus has exposed their hypocrisy. He has humiliated them in public. They could not control him. So they have come up with another plan to get Jesus to publicly condemn himself with his own words or to cross the Roman government. <clears throat> they now think they have uh, set the ultimate trap. They've been for sure themselves several times and it hasn't worked. And so here they come marching in with this woman whom they have quote, caught in adultery and all the attention that was on Jesus is now on them and this woman. And that's what they wanted. They wanted to take the attention off Jesus for the moment. They came in, tearing through the crowd, making a big scene. So when they confront Jesus, all the people will hear his response and maybe walk away from him. That's their hope. They said to him, verse four, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? What do you say? <clears throat> Oh, they think they've got him. They believe they have him trapped. They bring a woman who was caught in adultery straight to Jesus, and they want him to make the call on what they should do with her. You know, you know what I find funny? Back in chapter 7, they tried to discredit Jesus' teaching because he had not gone to their accredited school of religion. And now they're asking him to make a ruling, a major ruling. This is a death penalty case here. And they want him to be the judge. All of a sudden, they're willing to follow his teaching. 
all of a sudden they're willing to submit to his authority. Listen, this, this is not even normal procedure. The Jews were specialists when it came to the law. If they were really concerned about this woman breaking the law, they would have taken her to a rabbi with all the accreditations and gone through the proper procedures. But instead, they dragged this woman in front of Jesus and all of the people right in the middle of the temple and say, what do you say we do with her? What do you say we do? What do we do with this woman? They are putting on a show. They are acting acting in a holy, self-righteous manner. They are acting furious about this sin against God. And Jesus spoke, looked down and says, wow, you guys are awesome. You have a keen eye for other people's sin. And the way you have treated this lady shows that you have the love of God in your heart. And the best way to show love for others is to parade them in front of everyone and blast her sin out so loud that everyone will know that she is indeed a sinner. Oh, your word don't say that. <laughs> Neither does mine. It's not in the text. Jesus was not pleased with what these men were doing. Jesus was not pleased with the ones who thought they were so righteous. Being self-righteous is the problem here. Why is that such a problem? Well, well Jesus is of no use to the ones who don't know they are sinners. The Pharisees and scribes could not internalize the words of Jesus because they thought they were righteous and did not need him. He is no use to their self-righteous. Let me show you their heart. Write Luke 15 in your margins. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Them, those people, they are saying. But you know what? This is the, the one statement, the one time they actually got it right about Jesus. He does receive sinners. But do you see the, their heart here? Those people are sinners, not us. But that's why Jesus came. Jesus said, I came to seek the sick, not the healthy. Mark 2, 15 through 17 says this. As he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, well, tax collectors are rough, ain't they? They're like a level above a sinner, you know? They were sinners and tax collectors. Wow, sorry about the IRS guys around here. <laughs> said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He came for sinners. Guess what? Jesus was a friend of sinners. The righteous ones didn't need him. He's the friend of sinners. Great time to look at our own hearts here, right? Am I a friend of Jesus? Or do, that, do I think I'm good enough to get into the new heaven and the new earth on my own? Do I realize I am a sinner in need of a savior? Or am I so holy and perfect I don't need Jesus? Luke 18, 9. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted 
in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax, but the tax collector who was standing far off, listen, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, this is a great verse to do a self-examination with. Jesus came to call sinners unto himself. He is a friend to the humble sinner. to examine your hearts. Are you a friend? Is Jesus your friend? So we had the Jewish leaders waiting for an answer. Just give us the word, Jesus. If you say stoner, we'll do it right now. What do you say, Jesus? Come on, just say the word, Jesus, and we'll do it. Everyone's waiting to hear these words of this all of a sudden great teacher. Now they want to hear his words. The truth is they really didn't care what the ver what verdict Jesus came down with because whatever he said, they felt he would condemn himself. You see, when they stated that the law of Moses said to stone her, they spoke truth. In the eyes of God and the Jewish law, adultery was a sin and a serious sin because sexual sins destroy society. It destroys home and family. Leviticus 20.10 says this. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So both of the people were to be put to death. Did you notice in our text today that the Pharisees only brought the woman? They didn't drag the man up to Jesus. They conveniently forgot to bring him along. That shows us that they were really not concerned with filling the law. It was never about fulfilling the law. They keep breaking the law, trying to condemn Jesus, holding court in the courtyard of the temple, coming to Jesus instead of a trained rabbi. And on top of that, they were adulterers themselves. Back in chapter five, Jesus said to them, you are adulterers because every time you look at a woman to lust after her in your heart, you commit adultery. And every time you divorce your wife for other than proper grounds and remarry another, you cause her to commit adultery and you commit adultery too. Your adultery is prolific, he says. They were not concerned about the law. If they really believed Moses, they would have executed each other long ago. They weren't concerned about the law. They only wanted to trap Jesus. Now, even though they were picking which law to enforce, they did have a legitimate case against this woman. The law states that she should be put to death. And I guarantee you that they blasted that statement loudly. They didn't have hearing aids back then. So they were saying it really loud so everyone could hear it because they wanted them to hear Jesus's response. And it worked. It says the people were listening intently. Why? Because if Jesus breaks the law, 
then everything he has said or taught is null and void. His word is no longer the truth. He is disqualified as a teacher. Everyone would be done with him. You see, Jesus has been saying that he is from God and that he and the Father are one. He is doing the will of the Father. Jesus has already said, I did not come to destroy the law, but what? Fulfill it. So if he lets her go, he breaks the law and his claim to be God would just be empty chatter. He becomes a well-known false teacher who did some trick healings and cooked amazing bread. And what if he says stoner? Well, there again, he would be called a liar. Where's his compassion? Where's his mercy? He's the one that said he came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. He was called, like we said earlier, a friend of sinners. If he says stoner, then his actions would not line up with what he's been preaching. If he says stoner, they would say, where's your compassion? Where's your mercy that you've been preaching all this time? If he says stoner, he becomes a liar. So they think they have Jesus right where they want him. Either he's against God's law or he's not full of compassion, mercy, and grace. Whichever side Jesus takes, he would condemn himself. Can you feel the excitement in the air at the temple with these Jewish leaders? They're ready for Jesus to answer. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say? What should we do with this woman? You know, I think if he said stoner, I think they would have done it right then. You see, the Jews who are under Roman law were not allowed to carry out the death penalty. That's why they had to take Jesus to Pilate when they wanted to crucify him. The Romans were the only ones who could sentence someone to death. So if Jesus had said stoner, I believe they would have carried it out right there. And they would have gone to the Roman authorities as quick as they could with their finger pointing at Jesus saying, he's the one that told us to do it. He's the one that gave the command. And guess what? The Roman authorities would have taken Jesus and executed him for breaking their law. And the Jews would have got rid of, got rid of Jesus without having his blood on their hands. Sort of. So they say, What do we do, Jesus? What should we do, Jesus? And Jesus, the coolest man under pressure that has ever walked this earth, did not answer. Verse six, they said to test him that they might have some charges, some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. He was calm. He was cool. He was collected. He didn't let them rattle his cage. He kept silent and he bent down and wrote something in the dirt with his finger. Just writing in the dirt. And the Jewish leader is probably thinking, what is this guy doing? We need an answer. And he's down there scratching out tic-tac-toe in the dirt. What? They're about to explode here. They believe they got him. They're going to be rid of Jesus if he would just give an answer. Look at verse 7. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up. Can can you picture this? Jesus is bent down. He's riding in dirt. And they're continuing to ask him. What do you say, Jesus? What do we do? What do we do? 
Answer the question, Jesus. What's your ruling? We need to know. We need an answer to our question. They believe they have come up with a question that Jesus cannot answer. And their question, this to back up what I uh, began with, their question is not what to do with their, their, this woman. The real question is, if you are God, as you claim to be, how are you going to reconcile your justice with your mercy? How can you do that work when we have caught this woman in adultery? How, how does that work? How do you reconcile? How does God reconcile his justice with his mercy? Hey, that should be a question that everyone wants an answer to. Everyone. How does God reconcile his justice with his mercy? Well, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. The answer to that question is the gospel. The reason that Jesus came was to reconcile God's justice with his mercy. So how does that happen? You see, on one hand, we have God's justice. We have the law of righteousness. We have the law that reveals sin. We have a holy God that demands punishment for sin. We have a holy God who says that the payment for sin is death. God says, you sin, you die. That's the penalty for sin. That's true justice. But on the other hand, God says he's full of forgiveness and mercy and grace. So if all God does is show mercy and forgive, and forgive sin without payment, then he wipes out his own justice. A just God cannot just overlook sin. He, he would no longer be just if he did that. So what's the answer? How does God harmonize his justice and his mercy? How can you have both? Because one will negate the other. Well, the answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is at the cross. God says that you have sinned and the payment is due. And Christ says, I will make that payment for whosoever will believe. I will die the death for them. And when Christ was on the cross, God put all his judgment on him. He took our place on, the on that cross. God poured out his wrath against sin and Jesus bore it all. Every sin that has been or ever will be committed, he bore it all. God's wrath towards sin was put on Jesus. But here comes the good news. Jesus made the payment by dying for us. When he rose from the grave, God was then free to give us mercy because of the resurrection. Jesus bore our sins. And so God says, your punishment for your sin is taken care of. Here is my mercy. Here is forgiveness. Trust in my son. Do you see the humility of God? You hear me say this all the time because it's a big deal. Jesus left the glories of heaven became a man for us and died a horrible death on the cross for us. He took our place. He is definitely a friend of sinners. Amen. So that is how justice and mercy work together. There is only one way and Jesus Christ is the way. Justice and mercy will not come together without our Lord Jesus Christ. So on that day in the temple courtyard, the answer to the Jewish leader's question was standing right beside the lady who had been caught in sin. Jesus was the answer to their question. 
but they did not see Jesus for, for who he really was. Jesus stands up and says these famous words to them. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Not sure if they had crickets in the temple back then, but I'm sure you could have heard one. After Jesus spoke those words, I believe you could have heard a pin drop on the other side of the temple court. I mean, there was a noise going on. There was a lot of racket going on. The leaders have demanded an answer, and they keep asking him to answer Jesus, answer Jesus, tell us what to do. And he stands up and said, let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Silence. Complete silence. The heart of the Lord's enemy, enemies was evident. They brought this adulterous woman to Christ, not because they were shocked at her conduct or that her at her heart or that their hearts were grieved because God's holy law had been broken. No, not at all. They used this woman to exploit her sin and further their own agenda. They were so anxious to discredit our Lord before the people, they couldn't even wait to talk to him in private about this. They come rushing in, rudely interrupting as he's teaching the people, and they challenge him to solve what they thought was an unsolvable problem for him. And Jesus beautifully, beautifully turned the table on them. You who are without sin, cast the first stone. You know, take notice. Jesus, what Jesus did not do here. Jesus did not say she was not guilty. Jesus didn't say not guilty. He did not debate the law with them. He did not set aside the Roman law. Instead, he just showed them that they were unfit to be her judge and executioner. You know, the word has a lot to say about self-righteous people judging others. Listen to what the word says about judging. Romans 2.1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such judgment. Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do you know what is amazing about judging? Is that we are able to see the tiniest sin, the smallest sin on others and judge them. It's amazing that we're able to point out the smallest speck in someone else's eye while having these huge logs in our own eyes. I'm not sure how we're able to do that, how we're able to see around those logs and see a speck in someone else's eyes, but we can do it. We can do it. We're real good at it. That's why we as believers need to make sure we're doing self-examinations and not examining others. Think about this. Our judgment is tainted with sin. So if we judge someone else, it would not be a righteous judgment. We're sinners. So one may ask, so, so how do we call out sin? If none are qualified to go to someone else, how do we call out sin? Well, that's where the church body comes together. This is where the body 
works. We come along beside one another. We hold one another accountable. We can say to one another, hey, brother, what you're doing does not line up with the word. We come together with the right heart, not a heart of condemnation, but a heart of reconciliation. We come with a heart of love, desiring that God be glorified by a sinner confessing and repenting of their sin. So that's how the church body works together and share salad with one another, right? Let us do what we're supposed to do. Love one another. Amen? And so these self-righteous accusers are ready to judge and execute this woman. And God says, okay, she's guilty. But you without sin be the first one to cast a stone. Verse 8. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, when they went away one by one, seeing with the old, beginning with the older one, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before them. No one stepped forward with his rock. You know why they didn't? They couldn't. They had come judging before they had done a self-examination, and they quickly found out they were not as righteous as they thought they were. You see, if one of them had stepped up with their stone ready to throw, I believe someone would have said, whoa, 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 you're not that man. You're not that guy. You have sinned. And if that happened, guess what would what the problem is? They would then be on trial along with this woman. And Jesus would have become the judge in their case. Didn't want that. They wanted to judge, but they did not want to be judged, you see. Maybe you're wondering what Jesus wrote in the sand. What do you think he wrote? Don't say it. I don't know, and neither does anybody else. Nobody knows. There's a lot of speculation, and I wasted some time reading it all. The word does not tell us what he wrote. Plus, it doesn't matter. That one statement from a holy God was enough to silence the Jews and send them, send them away. God made them look at their own sinful hearts with one simple sentence. Whatever he wrote in the dirt, doesn't matter. It didn't matter. So the ones who came to condemn the woman all left condemned. They all left. They all recognized that they were sinners too. And you know what the sad thing is? They recognized they were sinners. They, they knew it. That's why they turned and walked away. The sad thing is, is the one that was able to forgive them of their sins was standing right before them. And instead of falling on their knees before a holy God and asking for forgiveness, they turned their back on him and walked away. Jesus stood up, verse 10, and said to her, woman, where are they? Where are they? No one Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus said that he did not condemn her, and he told her to go and sin no more. That is divine forgiveness right there. 
She was declared guilty by the law, but she was also declared not guilty by the one whom she called Lord. No one, Lord. You see, Jesus did not condemn her, but he did command her to abandon her sinful lifestyle. Turn from your sin, he says. Just because Jesus did not condemn her, some use this, well, you know, she's got the freedom to go on sinning like, like nothing has changed. But listen, an encounter with Jesus Christ always demands a transformation of life and a turning away from sin. What does Paul say in Romans 6? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, by no means at all. How can we who died in sin still live in it, he says. We are all forgiven, but that is no excuse to abuse, abuse God's wonderful grace. Love does not abuse the object of its love. If you understand what Jesus did for you on that cross, and if you have experienced God's grace, then you would never want to take advantage of God's love. When you truly understand how God's justice and grace can be harmonized through our Lord Jesus Christ, then you will truly understand God's love for you. The reconciling of justice and grace is a problem that only God could solve, and he did it by sending his only begotten son, Jesus. God in human flesh, who was willing to take the punishment that you and I deserve, paid the payment that we could not pay. He is saying to all, come, come to me, come to Jesus. That's where love is. Come to Jesus and be reconciled with the one true living, holy God. Come to Jesus and be saved from the wrath of God. Come to Jesus and have eternal life with God Almighty. Don't be like the ones who turned their backs on Jesus and walked away. Come to Jesus and he'll take that fear away. Come to Jesus and introduce yourself as a sinner in need of a savior. And then you will understand why Jesus is called a friend of sinners. Come to Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs>